Welcome to a special episode of Nipe Story. We're a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. Just like our previous episode, we're dabbling into something different. This is the second episode of a special series we've titled Tis a Season, where we're featuring reflections of the COVID-19 pandemic from writers, creatives and thinkers. To start us off, here's Lucas Maranga with his piece titled Cliché. It is well. Be strong. Take heart, guy. A day at a time. God is good. And if we may add all the time. And all the time, God is good. These are all lines we frequently use and have had, more like overuse, when attempting to lift someone's spirit. I have had an overdose of them over the last few weeks. I know it's mostly being said from a good place, so I take it positively, and I appreciate it. I now realize that I am also guilty of uttering these words many times over, but not with the weight of their true meaning. My father's demise has made it clear that I say these words to people without much thoughts. Does that mean that I don't care or that I am offering fake comfort? I don't believe so. Sadness and grief are uncomfortable to be around, especially for the one offering support to the grieving. So we say words like this to reduce the loudness coming from the awkward silence. We feel obliged to talk, to fill that space. Yet we don't know what to say. It's just better sometimes to maintain shallop and let it be. The story of Job in the Bible draws this picture well. After being terrorized by the evil one, his friends came to console him. Initially, they said Pole, only with their physical presence, no talking. That was going well until they began to speculate aloud about Job's afflictions. It was downhill from there. Now with my dad gone, I'm most sympathetic to Job's friends. They thought they were helping by speaking, yet they seemed to make matters worse when they did. Sometimes showing up is the best form of support we can offer someone. But our human nature often betrays us and we end up breaking our silence. My family and I are very grateful for all the words and even songs of comfort and encouragement we received when dad was unwell and even after he transitioned to eternal rest. Being an extrovert, I did not tire from hearing all the words of comfort and encouragement. In fact, I really loved the company of all those who came over to just be with us. Something strange began to happen though. The more I heard these words repeated over and over again, some of them began coming to life in a strange way. C.S. Lewis said that the death of a beloved is an amputation. And how I know that right now. A day at a time is a quote that has become a crutch for me to move forward. Since I became an amputee on the 8th of May this year, a 
at exactly 8.30 p.m. when we lost dad. Losing my father breathed life into those words and they are now my SOP, Standard Operating Procedure. My days feel long lately, but half a day at a time or even an hour at a time is helping me cope. If you ask me about my plans for next week, I'll just tell you I haven't thought that far. So it's a day at a time, literally. Grieving my dad and attempting to adjust to life without him has somehow released me from the pressures of tomorrow. I like the feeling of freedom that comes with it. And I hope that lasts. Energies required for speculating, more like worrying on what may happen in the future, are now redirected to getting through the present moment as best as possible. Matthew chapter 6 verse 26 reads, Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. I like that, careless in the care of God. I think this is the closest I've come to living out this scripture, and yet it's one of the cliches that I have used and heard over the years. Yani, birds just get up and food is provided for the day. All they have to do is fly to eat. And yet I often worry as if I'm of lesser value than a bird. Death indeed can force us to loosen our grip on this life. We hold on to things so tightly as a strategy to secure tomorrow. And yet tomorrow is not guaranteed. We even run the risk of choking tomorrow in the process. And how effortlessly we do this, sadly. My focus is now, like right now, a moment at a time. And that's just okay. It seems like I'm still learning lessons from my father, even in his absence. I would like this particular lesson not to fade away with time. It is well, folks. It is well. T.K. Frankie Idosian is no stranger to Nipe's story. And here he is with his piece, Notes on Grief. How does one climb out of a hole so deep that it seems it is only a matter of time before it's over? Yet I can see the surface. I can see the bright blue skies. Even this far deep, I can feel the heat of the Saharan sun bearing down. I just need to keep climbing and I'll get out, I think. How deep, you say? Deep enough to have moments of hope that just a bit more climbing will get me there. Yet I'm still so deep that my heart is heavy and the tears gush whenever they feel like it. I've been in this hole for about two years, give or take. And I first fell in after a triumphant spring evening where I did a reading at the New York Public Library with my friend Sohaila. We had just presented our books, and the talk was mainly about hers, but I was right there on stage with her. And readers bought my books and chatted with me afterwards. My friends, my family, and my mother were all cheering me on on that May night. Then after it was all over, and when I was coming down from the high, 
My brother informed me that before I took to the stage, my father had died. They waited till the event was over to share the grim news from Nigeria. Losing a parent is indescribable, and so slowly I began to slip. But then he had to be buried. It took months, but he was given a befitting burial in his hometown on the banks of the River Niger. Battered and bruised emotionally after his July internment, I returned to New York. And by late summer, my beloved cousin, Uncle Yu, had died. I slipped further into the hole. His funeral was tough, but my brothers and I knew we had to be there and be strong. But we didn't expect our mother, a proud survivor of spine surgeries, to insist that she too make a trip with us to say goodbye to the beloved nephew of her husband. Why so soon, she wrote in her tribute to him. It was unfathomable. We had no answers. I joined Sahila for more readings at the Boulder Public Library after paying my last respects to Uncle Yu. And on my return to New York, the day after, I met up with my wonderful mother. She was at home and ill. The trips had weighed heavy on her, I thought. Too many goodbyes, too much sadness. I made her comfortable, just hung around her, and later in the evening, when it was quite late, I returned to my own home. When I returned to our apartment at dawn, Mum had died. I tumbled deep, 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 deeper. And while a lot of it remains clear and blurry simultaneously, I'm surprised I'm still sane. Days later, the news from Nigeria was not good. Dad's brother had died as well. Like all the other deaths, my uncle's demise was unexpected. In a zombie-like state, we buried our dead, my family bruised and battered. I simply languished deeper in a hole, surrounded by my own sadness and pondering conversations that turned out to be the final ones. Death. It has a finality to it that can hit so hard. The year had come to an end and I had moved from America to Ghana. Relocating meant showing up to work with a smile and going home to a smothering grief in a city where I had to build a new support system. And three months in, a global hysteria began, a pandemic unlike any other, and the dead piled up around the world. Many others got so sick and remaining indoors was the way to stay sane. Deeper into the hole I went. When a close one got the virus, from miles away, I talked him through it by being strong, but panicking inside and weeping alone. Then an uncle died unexpectedly, and we had to bury him via Zoom. As the number of fatalities and the sick rose, my friends step up, and we call each other and check in. Then I begin to run and try to swim. I'm running to climb out of the hole and the tears come out, but I keep running. And I keep trying to master that freestyle stroke. Then one neighbor 
and other friends get stricken and they survive. And after a year and a half of loved ones being snatched away, I feel I'm slowly climbing out of the hole. I see the skies. I see the heat. We're all lending a hand to each other and still supporting others who are ill. My beloved cousin Nam goes to bury his in-law and the virus gets him. And soon we must bury him. Many of us on Zoom. After seeing blue skies, I now have only tears. And as I navigate this, my beloved friend Kev, part of our South African family, succumbs to the virus. I can't go bury him in Cape Town. I can only cry yet again on Zoom. It's all so blurry now, and the tears keep me in a state of joylessness. Will I ever get back to those blue skies? Maybe. But for now, I've been dealt another blow. My friend and one of my South African publishers, Nadia, has been taken too. Like Kev, I didn't even know she was battling with COVID-19. I'm still in the hole. I am still on board. Tomorrow, I'll lace up the sneakers and run some. My Healing and Start Testament by Matuba Matlachi is about a journey of the slow road to healing. The Hillegestand Testament is a letter Ludwig van Beethoven wrote to his brothers when his health began to deteriorate. Well, I could not find a better analogy of how I feel or, or have been feeling since the beginning of this plague. You nurtured my love for classical music and it's a legacy I treasure. Beethoven no longer wanted to be in denial. He perhaps thought this was going to help him deal with his new normal. He didn't realize he wasn't slightly losing his hearing, but he'd be completely deaf. But you know what, Papa? He still managed to compose beautiful music that we still play and we will still play for generations to come. Today I feel like I'm writing my own Helechastan testament because of the aches in my heart and soul. The transition from being able to watch you make up for what apartheid South Africa did to you to mourning your death has put me through a phase of severe emotional dis-ease. Everything I walk into reminds me of the change and the new life I have to embark on. Like Beethoven, I'm losing all my senses. I can't hear music the way I used to. The pitch is just not right. So there's a definite discord in our lives because part of the melody of the beautiful tune is gone. But I wipe the tears and carry on. I carry on even though I know I will hit another snack in another one. The bright side to my testament perhaps is that I'm making peace with this reality. I acknowledge it's not just change but a completely new life. I accept it, mainly because I have no other option. You left a widow, my mother. The irony is that I find joy in sharing my moments of grief and regular trips down memory lane. The difficulty comes with having built my life around you and Mama. I always considered myself fortunate to have both parents still. But unfortunately, some of my friends have buried theirs. 
Others never really had both parents in their upbringing. The pain of losing you is getting old inside of me. And that's why I thought writing a testament might help me reach a new level of grief. The kind that will allow me to live a little more. You and Mama have always been the pillars in my life as a child. And it's quite significant that I mention this because I wasn't just any child. There was no label for me then, but today I'm the gay man who had both parents as witnesses to my existence. My teenage years, my university years, my wedding, and sadly, the death of my husband. You were there for all of it. The pandemic that has consumed so much of the life we knew called for this testament because there are too many triggers. It's not easy to accept the cycle of life because all my life, I knew you and Mama as the safety net I'd fall on if life did not work out. For as long as you lived, I held on to the comfort zone you created for me. I watched how you would shield me from realities that could have easily broken me. And you always wanted me to know that you would not be here for long and I needed to work on a plan B. And I did. The universe gave me a husband, Leslie. He was a bonus because you had both of us and we felt safe despite your old age. We felt so safe and that was one of the ingredients to our perfect love. But now with Leslie gone and the pain is so overwhelming. Not even Mama who performed miracles could make it go away. And you watched me break and told me not to be strong so I can get to my different stages of grief. So I'm battling now with your absence. I may have not lost my hearing like Beethoven, but I have lost chances of hearing you say you love me. This is not self-pity, but a mere acknowledgement of death or lack of appetite for a new life. Fear of the unknown. Both because of this pandemic and your departure from this world. That's my testament. Loss of a loved one or loved ones is one of the many things that has come along with the COVID-19 pandemic. And I hope these two episodes of Teaser Season have brought you some form of encouragement, especially if you're grappling with grief. My special thanks to this episode's contributors. Lucas Maranga is a Kenyan storyteller, speaker and life coach. You can read more of his work on his blog, Lucas Maranga, A Man at 40. G.K. Frankie Idosian is the author of the book Lives of Great Men, which won the 2018 Lambda Literary Award for Memoir. His Shareprint story was shortlisted for the 2018 Gerald Crack Human Rights Award, and his Forgetting Lamido was anthologized in Safe House. And finally, Matuba Matlatje is a South African-based freelance journalist and a lover and self-proclaimed critic of classical music. Thank you all. And I'd like to dedicate this particular episode to my late father, Leslie Betawa Mwachiro. Our other episodes of Nipe Story are available to enjoy wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story, and on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.